From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Naomi Jagoda. This week marked the annual deadline for Americans to file their tax returns. For the IRS and for taxpayers, it was another challenging filing season, marked by an unresolved backlog of old returns, slowing refunds for some, and difficulty getting through to the IRS's overwhelmed phone helplines. The COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated some longstanding challenges that hampered the agency's ability to fulfill its core mission, like processing tax returns, sending out refunds, and even helping people answer questions about their own tax situation. The IRS was also tapped to help lead the economic response to the pandemic. On top of its normal tax administration work, the agency was asked to send out stimulus checks, start making child tax credit payments every month, and administering a variety of new business tax perks. This week, Bloomberg Tax took a deep dive at what it will take to fix the IRS, tackling everything from the agency's over-reliance on paper documents and outdated technology to its less-than-stellar public perception. We spoke to current and former top government officials, tax professionals, and others who know the agency well to explain what's going wrong and offer some potential solutions. For this week's episode, my colleague David Hood spoke with two people who are very familiar with the IRS's shortcomings. First up is a conversation with John Koskinen, who served as IRS commissioner from 2013 to 2017. We also talked with Carlos Lopez, an enrolled agent and founder of the Latino Tax Professionals Association, about how the IRS's problems affect his clients and how the agency can serve minority communities more effectively. No one thinks that it will be easy for the IRS to solve its persistent issues, but Koskinen, Lopez, and others we spoke to see the potential for the agency to get back on the right track. All right, Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so, so I guess uh, the most pressing problem or the most prevalent problem is this idea of, uh, of, of bad perception, <laughs> bad perception of the, of the agency. I mean, nobody likes the IRS because it's the tax collector and it's always been that way. So I guess how does government, how does citizens, how do we fix the problem of the bad perception of the IRS? Well, it's a good question and an important one. And obviously, if you're a taxpayer, and for most taxpayers, the only interaction they have every year with the government is when they pay their taxes. And if that interaction goes badly, uh, you obviously not only have a negative feeling about the IRS, you begin to think that the whole government is incapable of getting from point A to point B. So in the case of the IRS, uh, as noted, uh, you know, people don't love paying taxes necessarily, but to the extent you can file electronically, uh, get a refund electronically, it all moves smoothly, uh, you tend to have a uh, sort of positive feeling, well, it's, as uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes says, the price we pay for democracy is to pay taxes. So it's important for people to be able to do it efficiently. It's also important for them to feel that everybody's paying their fair share. So one of the things I've always worried about is if it looks like rich people are can hide their money abroad or not pay the amount they owe, that also undermines the faith in the system. I guess, is there anything that the agency can do to, to market itself better? Because as uh, you know, what we've seen over, over the pandemic is sort of an acceleration of 
the transformation of the agency from just being a tax collector to being a major social services distributor. So, so I guess, I guess, how does the agency market itself better as we're not just here to garnish your wages and levy fines and revoke your passport, but we're also here to help? Right. Well, I always said, as I gave talks around the country, that it was important for taxpayers to understand that while if you're trying to avoid taxes or hide funds, I'm happy to chase you to the end of the earth. And that's uh, the image of the IRS and that side of the coin is important so people think twice before they don't pay their taxes. But on the other hand, there's a duality that it's important for people to understand the IRS really is anxious to help people who are trying to become compliant. So if you're confused about something or there's a question has been raised, The IRS spends a lot of time and money, probably almost half of its funding is spent trying to help taxpayers because the goal is not to collect any more money than uh, people owe. It is to, in fact, help people figure out what they owe and help them figure out how to pay it. And so that's part of the image that people never quite see, but a lot of effort goes into that. And it's why the lack of funding and personnel leading to the inability to answer phone calls when you call in is corrosive to that message because people think, well, if you're trying to help me be compliant, how come I can't get through on the phone? That's a great segue into Congress's role here. Um, You know, we've seen, especially over the pandemic, that the agency has been asked to do a lot more with the same personnel or less funding. Um, What is the, the, the solution to the do more with less problem? Well, I spent the last uh, several months of my tenure uh, wandering around the Hill. I felt a little like President Eisenhower warning about the military-industrial complex. And my message to the Congress, particularly Republicans who were sort of anxious to keep cutting the budget, was that if you keep underfunding the place, sooner or later, it's not a question of whether, it's just a question of when uh, that it all just stops. And we've come close to that now. I once got uh, grumbled at at an appropriation hearing where I said, you know, at some point in time, you can't do more with less. At some point in time, you do less with less. And one of the congressmen said, well, you know, you can't say that. What kind of leadership is that? And I said, well, it's important for employees to understand that we understand that there's a limit. Only 24 hours in a day and 8 to 12 hours in a workday, there's a limit to how much more you can do uh, effectively and successfully. So I think what people have to understand is Uh, This agency has been underfunded for the last 10 or 12 years. One number I saw recently was the agency's about the size now it was in 1970, 50 years ago, and there are 60 million more um, uh, taxpayers and Americans uh, since then. So you can become more efficient. The IRS has 90% of people now file electronically, and that's more efficient than handling, um, you know, 160 million paper returns. So my position always was, I don't need to get back all the employees that used to be here. We just need to get back enough to be able to answer the phones, process paper returns, uh, in effect, provide taxpayers with the service that they have a right to expect. Is the agency in your mind being asked to do too much? Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that they're asked to do too much. I was impressed, not surprised, because it's a wonderful workforce dedicated to the mission, of helping taxpayers and collecting the appropriate amount, that the last tax season, spring of 2021, with the pandemic and people working from home and all of the disruptions and the first stimulus payments, I was impressed that the filing season went relatively smoothly. This year, uh, what you've got is more stimulus payments, 
Uh, the one thing that was a challenge last year was in the middle of the filing season, people decided we should not tax unemployment insurance payments. And they decided that after 60 million people had already filed. So had a lot of people had to file amended returns. A lot of people were confused about it. And then to help out, they decided that was a one-year deal. So this year, some taxpayers, I'm sure, assume that unemployment insurance isn't taxable and are not paying taxes on it. And so the confusion reigns. But you've now been three stimulus payments. And then again, uh, last year, someone decided, understandably, that it would be good to have an expanded child tax credit. And starting last July, you ought to be able to have the IRS pay it monthly in a situation where the IRS had never paid anybody anything monthly. And so for the agency to take all of that on and be able to function at all just seemed to me a great tribute uh, to the skill and dedication of the employees. But the net result of combining the pandemic, the stimulus payments, the new programs uh, and tax programs is that you now have 20 million uh, paper returns that haven't been processed. You have people waiting for refunds. You have erroneous notices going out because the system doesn't recognize you already mailed in your return. And it can be directly tracked not to an inability of any particular person in the agency to do their job. It can be directly tracked to the fact that there just aren't enough people there. You know, that, that sort of brings me to, to, to the last issue I wanted to, to bring up with you is that employee retention, right? I mean, from, from what we've heard, what we've heard in, in talking to a lot of folks is that the employees at the agency are burnt out, are burnt out, they're overworked, they're not being paid enough, and so they're leaving. How does that cycle stop? Like, how do you, does the agency retain its, you know, the employees that it has and, um, you know, recruit, train, uh, you know, recruit, hire, train, and then retain, the, you know, new employees? Yeah, well, there are two significant aspects uh, to the problem. The one uh, you've raised, which is uh, the pressure on employees uh, to do more with less <clears throat> and their dedication. It'd be one thing if they were nonchalant about it and didn't care, I did a lot of town halls all around the uh, country. By the time I got done with it, kept track. I'd talked to over 20,000 employees in person. And it was reassuring and amazing to hear them talk about their concern about how to get the work done and how they could help taxpayers. So with all of the additional work that's been thrown on with the stimulus payments and now the child tax credit payments and continued decline in a number of employees, uh, it's not surprising that some of them are going to say, you know, this is not as much fun, it's not as interesting, it's not as rewarding and satisfying as it used to be. But the other side of the coin, the workforce also has been aging uh, over the last 10 years. Everybody's 10 years older. And the way the IRS has dealt with the underfunding and the budget cuts is just not to replace people when they left. So you have what I call the baby bust, and that is there are a relatively small percentage of employees under the age of 30 or 35. And so my concern four or five years ago when I was there was that as you move out 10 years, there's going to be this gap and you're looking for new managers and middle managers and senior managers. And you can find that there's a 10 year span there where IRS basically didn't hire anybody. So there was nobody being trained, moving up, being promoted. So now for the first time, there is additional funding and the IRS is starting to hire people. But obviously, you have to hire entry-level people, and they're not going to know what they would have known if they were hired five or seven years ago. So you have to find people with some experience about taxes and administration to come in with that five to seven to ten years' worth of experience. And you've got to do that because 
even if everybody was delighted with their job, they're going to reach retirement age. And now a lot of employees stay beyond retirement age, again, because they just find the job satisfying and rewarding. But there is a limit to that. Uh, And so the problem is going to be exacerbated to the extent that the funding is not available to hire people into both the entry level and the mid-levels to fill in that baby gap. That was John Koskinen, former IRS commissioner, speaking with David Hood. Next, you'll hear from Carlos Lopez, an enrolled agent and founder of the Latino Tax Professionals Association. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. The reason why I I wanted to have you on as a guest is is because you have uh, experience with how these problems affect taxpayers um, and, you know, as a tax preparer yourself, you know, how they affect you. So my, my, my first question is, can you describe to me how the paper backlog is uh, negatively affecting your work as an enrolled agent and also the taxpayers you represent? Yeah, I can give you a real life example. <clears throat> Just a few days ago, a client came in that's what one of our clients and she had uh, her 2019 tax return in her hand. And she goes, you know, I, I never received this refund. And I asked her, well, uh, let's find out when we filed it, and then we can maybe, you know, do some more research. And she goes, oh, well, I don't like my returns electronically filed. And I go, what? She goes, no, I mailed it in. I went, oh, you know what? Your return is on the bottom of 27 million other pieces of paper the IRS hasn't even filed yet or gone through. She went, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I really need this refund. And I go, yeah, we all do. But unfortunately, because the IRS is so backlogged because of the pandemic, it's going to be a few more months or a year before they even get to it. The the agency has been pushing for uh, e-filing of, of tax returns for, for some time. And we heard the commissioner say the majority, and I mean, in the high 90% returns are filed electronically. But why why is your client and others, why do they still rely on, 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 on paper? And is there any convincing them otherwise to, to, to e-file? Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's a tough question. It could even be cultural, David. You know, think about it. Have you ever heard of the company Square Up? So they interviewed me last year during the pandemic, like just like we're doing here today. And they said, uh, you know, we'd like to ask you, uh, why are we having such a hard time having the Hispanic community go cashless? And I said, are you kidding me? They will never go cashless here. You know, you're beating your head against a rock. It's just cultural. Cash is king. They don't trust the banks. The countries that they come from, the banks are scandalous. One day you could have $1,000 in the bank. Tomorrow, zero. You know, they can devalue your money. They can do whatever they want. It's just uh, cultural. They, they, uh, they want to mail it in. They want paper. They want to touch it. They want to feel it. I don't. I don't think we'll ever get away from that. I have heard from from the IRS that 
they recognize that. They recognize that some folks will just always file stuff by paper. So, so I guess what can the agency do to help serve the, the these taxpayers that will inevitably rely on paper? The agency's done a really great job translating into Spanish. And one of the things that we've asked them to do for now almost a decade, I mean, you can translate forms into Spanish, but what you have to really translate are concepts into Spanish. For example, the earned income tax credit, that's a very complex credit. And now with the Form 8867 Prepare Due Diligence, you know, what is the purpose? What's the concept behind the earned income tax credit? And if that's what's translated, I don't think you need to translate the forms. So the IRS needs to change their way of translating into conceptual uh, translations. When you say translate in, into conceptual translations, um, do you mean just give a better explanation of why this form or this information is needed? Like give it more context? Um, what, what Can you be more specific about what that means? Yeah, giving it more context. Here's the purpose of the Earned Income Tax Credit. It was designed to help out low-income taxpayers instead of having them go on welfare let's give them a little extra boost and uh, if they if they knew the purpose behind it and uh, I think you'd they'd be more willing to trust doing things electronically another issue that 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 we've explored is the public perception of the agency the IRS is the tax collector. It's the tax collector. It's the one, you know, it's the agency. It's the government. Uh, someone would even call it, that's the man. <laughs> but at the same time, though, the agency, especially during the pandemic, has transformed itself into a major social services distributor with the advanced child tax credit payments. I mean, uh, certainly economic impact payments, you know, stimulus checks, that is becoming more of a role for the agency. So how does, in your mind, and in your work and the clients you work with, how does the perception of the agency change? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, It is becoming more of a social agency. I think the biggest issue is Congress needs to recognize that. And they need to understand that you have the IRS not only just tax collecting, but now collecting all this other information, distributing all these funds. Um, I got to admire them. They they got those stimulus payments out at the beginning of the pandemic, millions of them, and I think they did it pretty flawlessly. But uh, people don't see that. They're like, oh, yeah, well, where's my free money? You know, that, that, that's what I hear. It's amazing to me. I go, yeah, well, you know, the IRS is, is uh, on their website. They got tools to figure out how to get that. But uh, I think Congress really needs to wake up and say, you know what? We've, we've been asking this agency to do a lot more than what it ever has done before. And, and uh, we need to let our congressmen and, and our representatives understand that. What is the 
the the perception of of the IRS among among your clients? Like, it, do they see it as a sort of reviled agency, or is it starting to shift in their minds as a result of the aid that they've gotten during the pandemic? Oh, they're still they're still everybody's favorite target. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> Everybody's worried about getting audited. And even people that come in here with a W-2 and a 1099-G for unemployment, well, I hope I don't get audited. I go, no, well, you're not going to get audited unless you're doing something you're not telling us about. But, you know, it's still, uh, it's still the most hated agency, I think, in the government. And, uh, and I think part of it has to do with... Uh, the agency closing down its TAS offices, the uh, local tax office where they, I know they had a big one here in Salinas where you could go in there, you know, you had to make an, appo- make an appointment or wait in line and you can actually talk to a real live IRS person and actually get things done. I think the IRS needs to go more live. Mm. Like what is what are what are tax preparers' roles in improving the the, the agency's uh, perception among among the public and certainly as yourself as you know you, you represent a lot of Latinos um like what what is what is a responsibility on yourself and your colleagues for um, giving credit to the agency? Well, you know, David, uh, we actually preparers actually have three roles. The first role is Father Confessor. People come in, confess their sins to us. Here's what I did last year. You know, I did this and I did that. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, that doesn't have anything to do with your taxes. Uh, the second one is we're counselors. Well, should I get married? Should, when, do, when should we get divorced? I get, I get asked that every so often. When, when's the right timing for taxes? Uh you know, if I have, if we have a child, how does that affect my taxes? What do you think? You know, and I'm like, whoa, I think you should do whatever you financially can do. And then thirdly, we're tax prepares. And so to, or in order for us as tax preparers to help the IRS's image is to be knowledgeable about the tax forms. Because the more accurate that tax return is the least problems you're going to have with it when it gets processed. So, and, and I think as long as you can keep the IRS from getting involved in your client's life, you've done your job. That was Carlos Lopez, founder of the Latino Tax Professionals Association. Before that, you heard from former IRS Commissioner John Koskinen. That will do it for this week's episode of Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, Naomi Jagoda, David Hood, and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm Naomi Jagoda. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. 
Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.